0: Welcome in once again. Women really mean business presented by Athena International. And we're so happy to have you here. And, you know, we listen to you. We're going to have a format change around mid-March, a very positive format change that we know that you're going to really like. Details coming soon, but let's talk about this week's guest. Kelly McCauzy is an internet marketing expert, and as you'll hear, she's as authentic as they come. In this talk, you'll learn why it's so important to build a community, no matter what your business is, and why it's important to have real communication. Plus, she gives you tips on how to have that real conversation. So, let's not delay anymore. Let's get into it. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. Episode number 66 begins now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. The podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business,
1: one guest at a time. Now, here's your host, Jeff Blitnikoff with
0: another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women really mean business presented by Athena International. I am Jeff Blitnikoff and very happy to have another guest with me this week. But uh, I have to mention her website before I mention the guest's name because I love this website. LovePeopleMakeMoney dot com. What a cool URL! What a great story we're about to hear from Kelly McCausie, and she is a fellow podcaster, but she does way more than podcasts. In fact, as she puts it in her bio, she was a broke single mom in two thousand two, doing graphic design for really way below what she should be charging and she said and this is from her bio thankfully she found a better way to make money online and you know what i'm going to bring you into the conversation now kelly so you can detail your history and what brought you to love welcome to the podcast hey thanks for having me jeff Absolutely so let's let's take you back to 2002 mm-hmm. and you had probably a tipping point where you're like, "Hey, I'm working hard, but I'm not making the money that I deserve so tell us about your journey and what led you to what you're currently doing you
1: know when I started my business, I had never made more than eleven dollars an hour at a day job. So my perspective on the value of my time was pretty low. And so when I came online and started to perform services for other people, I would only ever think in terms of my hour of time. So if, it, if I looked at a project and thought, well, it will take me about, I don't know, four or five hours to build this website. So I guess I'll charge her 50 bucks. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't know any better. And I was damn grateful to make the money, pardon my French. At the time, I was so broke. Things were so rough. The phone was getting shut off. The propane tank was running empty. I just really needed the cash, so I was willing to hustle to make it work.
0: So you're at that point. The propane tank is empty. Your Mm -hmm. phone's getting shut off. And you decide to, instead of go back into the working world and make $11 an hour and hope that you could just hang on to a job, you decide to be an entrepreneur and stop, as you say in your bio, trading hours for dollars. So talk to us about what first of all, the courage that it took to do that, especially with a young child at home, but then also uh, your journey as you were doing all that and how did you get it all going?
1: Well, I fell into the work-at-home mom community. Those were my first clients, the people who hired me to make a graphic or set up a website for them. And I was fascinated by all of the different ways that moms were finding to generate extra income whether they were selling some stuff on eBay or providing a service, maybe doing some ghostwriting. And uh, not to mention, you know, all the direct sales companies that were out there, there just seemed to be no end in the creative opportunities. And I fell in love with the idea of internet radio. I ended up starting an internet radio show for Work at Home Moms where well, I got to interview people about, you know, how did you get started? How are you making money? And it was purely unintentional for me, but about six, well, actually, not even a month later, people were calling me up and asking me if I could show them how to start an internet radio show. And I was always like, sure, I'm happy to answer your question. But within six months, I was actually marketing myself as a consultant getting paid to answer those questions and launching a membership site with a friend for work at home moms who were really serious about building a business. Uh, I'm sure it's still true today, but to me, it seemed worse back then, but there were so many scams out there targeting moms that it, you know, having a place where moms could come and get legitimate information about building a business not just falling for some other get-rich-quick scheme um, was behind our heart for the membership site. And it changed my life. When you have a paid membership site, every when every member is paying just a small fee each month, but you've got hundreds of members, you've got a cash flow that is not related to your hours anymore. And... Yeah, it was
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah, and that's, they always say, I mean, that's the holy grail of any marketing, money while you're sleeping mm-hmm. and, and or yeah. otherwise engage with other things. And a lot of things that you do, I mean, you blog, you podcast, you design, you partner with people, you create information projects or products rather, and you run membership programs, you do live retreats, you have a lot of different, I guess, what the way you would call it is you got a lot of cash flow streams. You got a lot of streams of income. So maybe talk to people about what are some common misconceptions of making money online and what the real deal is from your perspective on making money online.
1: So I consider myself an internet marketer um, slash coach slash blogger slash podcaster Um, But internet marketing, when I introduce myself as an internet marketer, I often get people surprised. They're like, why you really want to claim that title? Isn't that like snake oil salesman type people? An internet marketer is just someone who's leveraging the internet to share information and create income. But there are a lot of creepy, crawly um, marketers out there that will tell you that, that making some money online is is going to be uh, super easy. Um, that there's just some some product you can buy and boom, you know, within within months you're going to be making six figures. There's just so much crap out there, and and it's all BS. But the, what I discovered with my podcast with Work at Home Moms Talk Radio back in two thousand three that led to the paid membership site that led to everything else is that if you if you go online and you create a space, uh, and you and you you choose a community of people that that you just really want to be of service to, discover their needs and then seek to meet those needs one after another. Sometimes you can meet them directly. Sometimes you can meet their need through a recommendation with an affiliate link. Sometimes you can make you can meet the need with a special joint venture. I sunk my roots so deep into the work-at-home mom community that uh, the paid membership site was only the beginning. Uh, A year or so later, I launched a hosting company focused on work-at-home moms. I started to sell other information products. I continued to do web design, graphic design, coaching, and consulting. So the... If you, if there's a listener who's saying, I really want to figure out how to make money online, it starts with choosing people to love on and, and then just seek to meet their needs. It, I, I can't say like every single people group in the world is suitable to build a business around uh, because I really like, I imagine there are some hobbyists out there that I wouldn't know how to build a great income stream around their hobby. Uh, but there's a most of them, most people groups that you fall in love with and have a passion for, you're going to be able to spot those income possibilities.
0: Well, let's talk about community, and and this has been really great because you have some suggested questions, and and I think these questions, when I looked at them, I thought these are very. Good thought-provoking questions. It can also help people, no matter what business niche they're in. There could be somebody listening right now in manufacturing and say, "Oh, well, you know what? I'm not an internet marketer, so I don't have to really pay too close attention to this interview." But you know what? In today's day and age, and I know you'll agree with this, is it's all about community building and. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a working mom's group online or if it's a physical coffee shop somewhere or if it's a manufacturing plant. There's a certain grouping of people that have to have their needs met, as you say, one after another. So talk to me about why fostering a community creates a profitable benefit in your business. So
1: my, when I started that, internet radio show in 2003 it became a podcast the following year when podcasting was invented my my listenership I had mistakenly assumed that that would be this this one way back in you know, the two-way uh, situation I talked to them maybe they talk back to me you know maybe they leave a comment maybe they send me an email but I discovered that it's that it's a three-way communication because I'm communicating with them, they're communicating with me, and they want to communicate with each other. And that's what created the magic. That's what created the possibility of a paid membership site. That's what created the possibility of of just uh, hundreds of other joint ventures since then. Um, Whatever your product is, the users of that product had something in common, And when you create a space where they can uh, connect around that interest and you're the person who fostered that, then it goes a million miles towards creating brand loyalty. Uh, So, and you know, this is, this goes so far back when I was a teenager and I got my a babysitting job off the bulletin board at the laundromat. I mean, businesses have always known that it that it would be awesome if they facilitated connection between their customers. So it's just deeper and richer today because of the internet and social media.
0: What kind of platforms do you find are best for fostering that communication between people? And how much time do you have to spend moderating those platforms? Because I know that might be a concern of a lot of folks listening right now that might be solopreneurs or people that have very small businesses where time and staffing is at a premium.
1: That's such a great question. And I got, when I started My community was meeting on a forum, a private forum on my own website up until three years ago. uh, They asked to move to Facebook because they were already spending time there and it was a super mobile friendly environment. So Facebook groups are a great first step. uh, But for some businesses, I'm still a big fan of private forums. I would rather be on a private forum. I don't really like sharing my people's attention with everything that Facebook wants to throw at them. But it's a great place to start. Um, so, you know, Facebook groups are free and, and uh, fairly simple to set up. Moderation is going to depend on how big the group gets and what your, what the culture is that you're creating there. So my main Facebook group has over a thousand members and there's almost no moderation requirement because I just attract smart people who don't post a lot of spam. I think we might delete spam twice a month, but I do have a community projects manager who helps me greet new members and the community. That's the cool thing is if you create a community space, your community will police it. You create a culture. You foster the creation of culture there. And then they hold each other accountable to that culture. So if somebody if somebody does come along and post spam, which for me, in that if, if it's about working at home, someone will come and post some Get Rich Quick scheme. And uh, before I've even noticed it, five of my members have reported it. So (laughs) that's great. It's just taken care of, but great big groups do. Like I have a friend who has over 3000 paid members of a craft delivery box. And she's got a Facebook group for them. She has staff who monitors and takes care of that community.
0: So what are some do's and don'ts of starting and maintaining a community?
1: So this is a personal opinion. um, But the thing is don't treat a Facebook group like a Facebook page. Your Facebook page is your space to broadcast to your audience. And uh, if you open up a group and then treat it like just another place to broadcast, it is not going to work. People are not going to engage. They're going to tune out, turn off the notifications, and or just leave because it's, there's nothing mutual or community about it. So go into a Facebook group with a desire to create a mutually beneficial environment where everybody is welcome to share and, and communicate. Uh, my best tip if you're starting a brand new Facebook group is get three people and reach out and ask three people very specifically to join you in getting conversation going in the group because starting a Facebook group is kind of like starting a conversation at a party when no one's talking. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> so if you get three people who are all starting and engaging in conversations with each other, then as new people come in, they can jump into an existing conversation and, it may take a few months of doing that for it to pick up its own momentum.
0: Do you ever start conversations yourself to... Oh, yeah. Okay. And what are some of the topics that you might start? I mean, you know, obviously it's around whatever the point of the group is, but do you try to look for trends, other places online, and then maybe jump in and try to get people's opinion on those trends? Or what are some, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you do to foster smart communication?
1: So Love People and Make Money is all about content marketing and community building. And uh, the community group is there to um, to foster communication about that, like what's working for you in getting attention from your audience, what's working for you in, in getting engagement turned up in your community. Um, so conversation, um, we might start up a conversation about an article that I found uh, about um, how uh, LinkedIn is trying to improve engagement, which is funny because it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is not a high high touch engagement community. But yeah, I might just post something and express some thoughts and ask for feedback. A lot of the conversations that happen there are around you know questions that people have, like, "Hey, I'm starting a podcast. What's the best microphone?" or or, hey, I'm getting ready to launch my information product. Are you willing to take a look at my sales page? So specific questions, recommendations, seeking feedback, or maybe I have, a, it's called my secret frustration. It's a little hashtag topic in my group where if you've got something that's really frustrating you or you just need to vent, you can actually submit a vent anonymously through a form on my website and I'll post it into the group so that like let's say you paid that VA for 10 hours a virtual assistant and you paid that VA for 10 hours upfront and it's 3 months later and the work's not done Urgh, what do I do but you don't want to post that yourself because somebody knows who your VA is and you don't want to be you know bashing them so you can post it anonymously and get some great feedback that's one of our favorite little threads of of communication in the group. As much fun as it is to communicate with each other uh, as real people, that anonymous angle uh, lets people get some great
0: feedback. Let's talk about content. And I love that idea, by the way. I think that's really cool. I'd never heard of that before. But it does allow for real talk without real consequences and mm-hmm. not, not that anybody's trying to get consequences. I don't mean it that way, but it's the, the way to really have a conversation with, I guess a better way to put it is nobody getting hurt, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We online entrepreneurs are partaking of one another's services. I'm working with a virtual assistant. and we're working with a graphic designer. I've bought software from a company and, and sometimes it, it's right to call that person out or call that company out. But but sometimes you're just not sure. Like if you're, sometimes the event is, hey, have I misunderstood something? Am I in the wrong here? Do I have an unfair expectation before I go and call this person out publicly? So it is a way to, to just honestly get feedback without pointing fingers. Uh, and it isn't always about complaining about a particular person. Sometimes it's just admitting, like, I'm afraid I'm never going to get any readers on my blog. You know, how, many, how long were you blogging before you got results? Somebody, that's a big, big, scary, risky thing to ask. Yeah. But it gets easier when they don't know it's you.
0: <laughs> well, let's get into some content topics here. And the one question I had is, when it comes to content, a lot of people listening right now, Maybe, uh, again, solopreneurs, small businesses, maybe they have never delved into the world of content, but they're, they keep hearing the buzzwords out there like content is so important in today's day and age. And if you're not engaging people at a different level, then you're not going to be able to survive into the 21st century, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You hear kind of all these things that scare people, scare business owners and marketers. And so... From your perspective, if somebody is wants to start and have a good content plan, something that's going to really resonate with a community, what would you advise them to do as a starting place?
1: Well, it used to be, if we go back, you know, 10, 12 years, we were just trying to be prolific content creators. If we just kept filling our websites with content, Google would gobble it up and send us traffic. And, and it was true. It was a good time. <laughs> uh, but these days, uh, it's not about being prolific. It's about being meaningful and creating content that matters. So for me to give an item of content, a big thumbs up. It has to pass my so what test. And a lot of people are hiring SEO writer teams to generate content you know 500 word articles by the dozens and you read them and it just it's all one big so what who cares like you know if i read one more article about seven reasons you should drink more water i'm just gonna like lose it because it's all been said before so just because somebody regurgitated the words one more time doesn't make it valuable but when you to get past the so what who cares you've got to Tell me what's gonna happen if I don't drink enough water what are the symptoms what are the what are the frustrating symptoms of a body that isn't properly hydrated you know the waking up with headaches and having brain fog in the afternoon and uh, and skin problems and you know all, all that other stuff tell me about tell me about you know I uh, you're you're haunting the pharmacy for answers that could be that are actually better served by another glass of water goofball you know (laughs) that kind of content gets past so what who cares to oh i care about that like yeah i'd like to stop waking up without a with a headache
0: i love that yeah the so what test i'm going to use that for when i write content and produce content and speaking of which so You create a lot of different types of content, Um, Mm -hmm. blogging, podcasting, you place a lot of content on your social channels, not a lot of content, I should say meaningful content, and as you see the content trends, and everybody keeps hearing video, 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 got to do more video, but podcasts are also excellent. But blogging hasn't gone away. And again, you get into all this confusion for somebody that's like, ah, what do I choose? It's like going into a, uh, it's like going into a bakery with, uh, you say, you can, you can have a sweet treat, but you can only have one. And there's like 80,000 choices and they say, well, you better mm-hmm. choose, right? Well, then maybe not 80,000. That'd be a heck of a bakery, right? But say it's just <laughs> a multitude of choices. So yeah. what, what do you advise people to do as far as even choosing the type of content they're producing?
1: I love to write and I love to talk. So blogging and podcasting is just a, a natural fit for me. Email marketing, of course, uh, I think everyone needs to be email marketing. So um, I probably write more emails than anything else these days. You've got to choose a content medium that you enjoy or that you can outsource and leverage. So I have a client who is super compelling on stage and in a conversation, like if she's a podcast guest, but if I set her down and ask her to write a blog post, she'll spend three hours like filing her nails and checking, you know, checking her email and playing a Facebook game <laughs> and, and she'll just keep she'll just keep circling around you. Right, right, right. But but it's not ever gonna come natural to her to write she needs written content. We need something out there for search engines to read for the long-term benefit of her business, but she's not going to write it. So we just kind of said, all right, talk to me. I met with her and interviewed her for a couple of hours and took copious notes and then put some ideas together, got back together with her again and we crafted some written content that way once the ideas were on paper she could edit them to say what she wanted but to start from scratch was hopeless and but for someone to spend that kind of time with you 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 know you've got to be able to invest in that person and be able to leverage it and she certainly can I, I would wish that for anybody. If you don't like writing, that you would be able to work with a great ghostwriter, because um, it, it can be really fun for both of y'all.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You know, don't try to just overcome your weaknesses and just well, I'm just going to work on my weakness and do nothing else. Well, I mean, you're ignoring your strengths that way, which you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Is trying to find somebody else and outsourcing for your weaknesses so that you can really double down on your strengths. Is that a accurate way to put it?
1: Yes. Heck yeah. I, every once in a while, blogging and podcasting worked for me right away. Blogging worked for me right away. Engaging in conversations online worked for me really well. But there have been times where i thought, well, oh, Uh, I need to go do this other thing because everyone else says that it's the, the hot button like Facebook live um, a little more than a year ago. I'm like, well, I'm going to put my podcast on pause and I'm going to go do a bunch of Facebook live interviews instead. And I regret it. (laughs) I I had fun because I was talking with people, but the the payoff was not there in comparison to if those same conversations were podcasts dripped out through my normal measures. You gotta, you gotta give yourself permission to try new things, but you've got to measure everything so that you can see like, is it producing the same kind of results?
0: Well, let's shift a little bit to email marketing and ask you two questions on that. And, the first question is, is why do you think email marketing is so important? And the second question is, and this is something from your notes, and I'd never heard of this before. And I think it's going to be definitely something that our audience is going to want to learn about because it, it even the title is just intriguing to me. So it's the change in your pocket theory as you apply it to email marketing. So if you could give us the importance of email marketing and then the change in your pocket theory, I think that would be awesome.
1: Email marketing, the way that, that I employ it is that when you visit my website, you are offered an opportunity to claim a gift with your email address. And then that sparks a new relationship between us where I'm staying in touch with you on a very regular basis. I mail almost every day. I I also offer, if someone says, gosh, that's a lot, Kelly. I do have a weekly option. But in my community, my people want to know what's going on all the time. Without that, if you don't give me that email address, then I just have to hope you pop by, <laughs> you know, or hope that we run into each other on Facebook or Twitter. I, you know, when you say, yes, I'd like to hear from you, and then I get to message you, you know, I get more steady connection. I do not buy mailing lists. I, so every person on my mailing list is someone who intentionally said, yes, I want to hear from you. Uh, Change, change in the, in my pocket, the change in your pocket approach to email marketing is about relationship currency. I first heard about the change in your pocket and in a talk at, at church about love and this youth pastor was talking about how we have relationship currency in a new love relationship but the thing to realize about it is that the pocket is small and only holds a little bit of change if you act idiot <laughs> more than a couple times in a row without some redeeming fashion in between, you're going to run out of all that relationship currency and have a problem. Well, love covers a multitude of sins in relationship, but, but when one person is constantly being inconsiderate of the other, eventually they run out of money and, and uh, there's nothing to cover the mistake and the relationship is damaged. I see that the same way with my email community the The people who who opt in give give me permission to communicate with them. We have a relationship. I seek to make it a give and take relationship from the very beginning. You give me your email. I give you this gift. I share resources with you. I invite you to take actions. I invite you to to engage with me. Uh, I don't ever want it to be a broadcast one-way thing. I always want to be hearing back from you. And so um, right after I get you to say yes to my mailing list, I invite you into my Facebook community. But if you think about the simple idea of change in your pocket, just imagine... That with every new email subscriber, you're starting with a dollar's worth of change in your pocket. And it is a very small pocket that holds no more than $2 worth of change at any one time. Every time you give something, asking nothing in return, you're adding a little bit of change to your pocket. So maybe you sent a list of tips or here's this, you know, I, I found this this cool free thing online, go get it. Like the readers go, wow, that was so nice. Thank you. You just, you just put some change in your pocket. Every time you ask them to do something that served you, like come listen to my podcast, come listen to my blog. Hey, would you like me on Facebook? Hey, would you buy my small product? Hey, would you hire me? Those are all asks and it's spending change out of your pocket. So If you think about, you can't have more than $2. And if you go broke, they're likely to stop paying attention to you. You've burned up all the relationship currency. So give and ask, give and ask. And realize a lot of times when you think you're giving, you're actually asking. Like when you record a podcast and you send it out, you think you're giving, but you're actually asking them to come give you their attention. So um, it it's asking someone to come listen to a podcast is not the same thing as asking someone to click on an affiliate link and buy something. But it is still a bit of an ask and you just need to be aware of it.
0: We'll be back with our guest in just a second. And if you're really enjoying what you're hearing here, why not get some extras from our guest? After every podcast episode, we have some fun questions for our guest that we give exclusively to patrons. All you have to do is go to the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com and check out the Becoming a Patron section for just $5 a month you'll get extras from each week's guest. For just $10 a month, you'll get the extras and we'll release the podcast to you before anyone else gets it. Not only will you get great extra content for yourself, but you'll support not only this podcast, but Athena International as well. So again, please consider becoming a patron at the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com. All right. Let's get back into the episode. Well, I am going to take some change out of my pocket, and I think I have that right, and I am going to ask you something that is, I think, probably on a lot of the minds of the listeners right now about, and this goes back to relationships, but specifically family relationships. How do you feel personally that, what your entrepreneurial journey has done to change and alter the course of your family and your relationships with your family. And I imagine it's got to be a very positive change, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Well, when when if we go back to 2002, my son was 11. I was divorced. I needed to make extra money for a little while. I worked part-time. I had a full-time day job and I was working a part-time job on the weekends. And that meant, you know, my son had to go stay with somebody else. When I came home and started to generate that income, that meant he could still be there. You know, we could still hang out together. But I, I learned that even though that's better than, say, sending him to somebody else's house, if my attention is on the work, it's not on him so I always had to manage my time to to be considerate of that. My son, he's, he's, well, he's all grown up now. I mean, he's 29, he's married, he's given me a grandchild. But so here's the coolest thing that came of being entrepreneurs in my family, in my opinion. When my son was 17, we moved back. We lived up in northern Michigan from the time... He was five years old, and we were moving back because he was planning to start college. And I decided I, you know, was just wanted to stay close, get get back down closer to family. My sister's daughter was just gotten pregnant with quadruplets, and uh, when the babies were born, the just the real the reality of four babies was so insane because because I was an entrepreneur and my son was homeschooling, we were able to flip our schedule upside down, so we would go over to their house at nine o'clock at night and take over quad watch so that mom and dad could actually sleep i don't I don't know how how else they would have maintained any sanity at all
0: I love that uh, we were Quad watch. That's awesome. (laughs)
1: Yeah. We were able to do that for, we did that for 10 months. And then my son went back to a regular shift so that he could start working. And I continued to do it myself for another three months. The baby slept a lot at that stage, but that freedom and flexibility let us be available to the extended family in such an amazing way so grateful for that. That experience was amazing. And my son and I, we've always been close, but we were especially close during that period of time.
0: Let's, uh, get ourselves into another relationship question and stay on this topic. And that's, uh, That's a wonderful story there. I I love that. There's eight Athena leadership principles from the book Becoming Athena, eight principles to enlighten leadership by Athena International founder Martha Mertz. And I think, uh, of course, the principle that we're asking you to comment on this week is perfect for you. Building relationships or build relationships. What does that mean to you, Kelly? When the,
1: the gal I launched a membership site with in 2004, she's my first business partner, She encouraged me in in launching my internet radio show the year before. We are still friends today. We we partnered together for about three years and then she went off into a different business niche, but we've continued to joint venture and cooperate. She's spoken at many of my events. I highly value that she's just one of many relationships in my business that are long standing. You cannot possibly overvalue relationships, the people that you're working with. I in my community I have a I have a personal philosophy of I don't care if you ever spend money with me. That and I always get to look like, what? How are you gonna make money if they don't spend money with you? like, well, if I have something that meets your needs, yay, go ahead, buy it. But there are people in my community who've been in my circles. We've been friends for years and years and we've never spent money with each other, but we just, we share the interests in common. We love content. We love community. We love encouraging one another. And these people are often referral sources for me. So I know some businesses, especially when you get into the online marketing space, people seem like little, profit-seeking missiles like they're just looking for what they can get out of you they're networking you to within an inch of your life and and i just i don't play that game i'm way more relaxed and laid back about that and confident in in my content that if i've got what you need my content will do the job of selling it for me Mm -hmm. but man uh Relationships are huge. Relationships have stayed me through some really rough times, some personal health crisis that my business you know, could have really suffered with were held up through support from partners. Uh, the relationships you build are, are more important than anything.
0: Well, being that this is an Athena podcast, we're always wanting to talk about, and this is perfect for you, about how you develop female leaders. And I'm going to read this from your bio. This is a quote. Additionally, Kelly holds live events and retreats for female entrepreneurs to help them achieve their dream and grow their online business and community. And so you are really helping to build female leaders as is the Athena mission. So talk to us about what that means to you and how you're intentional about helping these women grow.
1: Some of my early clients, uh, like a friend, a gal who joined the paid membership site way back in 2005, was timid and uh, and just nervous and cautious about putting herself out there as an expert. My confidence in running my mouth (laughs) made me a great JV for her in creating her first information product. Um, That gal today runs a business that generates over a million dollars in revenue every year oh wow and and story that's great it, it she equips coaches and consultants and she just so happens today to be my business partner in hosting these retreats for females over at beachpreneurs that when when you have what i have this advantage of being able to look back over 17 years and see women who were once brand new and so scared and unsure and to see them today just crushing it not just financially but by what they're creating more of in the world and I I gotta tell you last year well when I rebranded Work at Home Moms Talk Radio, that ended when my son grew up and moved out. I turned around and realized, hey, I'm not really a work-at-home mom anymore. But I rebranded to Love People and Make Money a couple of years ago, and I feel, without sounding too, you know, too fluffy, but I really feel like there's just a call on my life to support women in stepping into that potential that they have. I think about when I met uh, when I met my business partner Nicole way back then. I, I don't. I had no idea she had that kind of potential. And so when I meet people today, I have no idea about their potential. I don't fool myself into thinking that I can judge who is and who isn't capable of being something super amazing in the world. And so I'm just. I just want to love and support every woman I run into. Because who knows, who knows the next person, someone I just met this year, may, I might be bragging about them in another 10 years for, for being a multimillionaire. I mean, who knows
0: the
1: the potential in every person.
0: Well, we've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, and I especially talked about it in Martha Mertz's interview and it was from her book and I'm paraphrasing here. There's a little boy with his dad, I think it was. And there were all these crabs washed up on the beach. And he would take some, thousands of them. He'd take the crabs one by one and he'd be throwing them back. And obviously he was not going to throw every crab back into the ocean. And his dad said, what are you doing? I mean, you really can't make a difference here. These, most of these crabs, are you're not going to be able to get to them. And so what does it matter? He says, well, it matters to the crab that I'm throwing back in. Yeah, and I think that's what you're doing in fostering these relationships and building these women up is is that you know certainly you can't get to every aspiring entrepreneur on the planet, but you can make a difference in the people that you encounter. So I think that's what you're doing. Am I right?
1: I hope so. I used to think I was pretty special. Like <laughs> if we just go back to my to my young twenties. I always thought I was smarter, knew more, had more going on for me than the average bear. So when I got an opportunity, I would think, well, they chose me because I'm really good. And I look back now (laughs) and I realize, "Uh, actually, they were just giving me a chance and I wasn't special. I was just given opportunities. The reason that's important to me to to look back and see. It's not about like beating myself up or or finding some false humility. It's about if I look back and say I got all these opportunities because I'm special, then I look around me and I try to spot special people. And you can't. I mean, maybe there's some gifted people out there who can like spot quality people, but I I can't. You know, if I if I say Hey, uh, she's got her stuff together. She looks polished from head to toe. Uh, she's got this education. Clearly, she's a quality person. And this other person who's a who's a high school dropout, you know, looking a little scuffy, you know, oh, you know, she she doesn't have it going on. I'll go with this person who's more polished. I may very very well be overlooking the diamond in the rough in the room. And this girl just got to own that. I am a high school dropout. You know, it's the minute that we think we can look at somebody and see their, I think we, I think sometimes we do see glimmers of something in somebody, but we judge people too harshly and too quickly. We judge, especially other women, too harshly and too quickly. And it's casting that judgment off to just see what they want to create. For themselves we're not if we approach ourselves or others with a fixed mindset of this is who we are and this is what they'll do we're limiting them and so I don't want to I want to approach people with a growth mindset of whatever it is I think I see is not who you are.
0: Absolutely I mean it's not judging a book by its cover And that's really what it boils down to. All right, let's get into the final few questions here. Resources, of course. We're going to put all of your social media channels in the notes. We're also going to put lovepeoplemakemoney.com, your contact information, all those things. But what are some other resources you think listeners should be plugging into? What are some things that inspire you?
1: Well, one of my favorite books is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. He's got a new book out. The Joy of Genius. I cannot wait to read it. I just bought it on Audible. You know, I went to a workshop in May here in in Michigan. Dr. Melissa Pete, the Generative Knowledge Institute. She had a TED Talk about embodied conversation and generative knowledge. She's a academic out of uh, the out of U of M. I saw her TED Talk and I was really taken by it. And then later, a friend of mine told me he was coming here to go to her workshop, and I signed up. It, look up Dr. Melissa Pete. look up her TED Talk, and then really keep an eye out for what she might be doing next. I invited her to come speak at my next event um, because she, talk, she teaches such valuable ideas around embodied conversations that... Uh, And as a podcaster, you know the difference between a conversation that's a question that stays very surface versus a question that invites people to really lean in and be real and human with you. Her whole workshop was about embodied communication and that she believes, I probably slaughter this, but um, she believes basically that through true embodied conversation, you can discover your wholeness you can you can spot what drives you and spot and then lean into it. A lot of people are living very surfacey unhappy lives because they're not taking time to really know themselves.
0: Well, let me give you the floor at the end here. I always start with the guest and end with the guest. And I'm definitely going to be checking out her TED Talk, that's for sure. That's going to be awesome. Well, I, I end up checking out a lot of things that my uh, guests give me because it's all really good stuff. But let's give you the floor. I like to start with the guest, end with the guest. And uh, so how would you like to address the listeners as we take the podcast out here?
1: There's a theme I've been leading into over the last year or so, and that is turning intimidation into invitation. And I have a bracelet I've been wearing that just says invite. I run a challenge every year in September. It's called the Stretch Yourself Challenge. It's a content marketing challenge, but more than anything, it's an invitation to just stretch up and do something that makes you a little nervous, whether it's hosting your first webinar or or creating a a little one-day summit something that you've never done before that would put you in front of your perfect audience. And what makes you nervous is that it's intimidating to do that thing you haven't done before or to be seen by more people for the first time. How can we turn that intimidation into an invitation? Through the challenge, I'm, I'm daring you. I'm creating, a, I'm creating a space, setting aside an entire month, inviting you to show up to Zoom room conversations in the Facebook group and open up the emails every day and watch my little videos. And I just keep daring you, daring you, daring you, inviting you to step out. And I've discovered that it the moment they said yes to the challenge, they were stretching themselves. They've been hungry for this invitation. Uh, so many of us have a big dream, a big vision for taking what we're doing farther, reaching more people, but we've got ego trickster thoughts running saying, who do you think you are? You're not ready for this. You know, uh, so-and-so is so much better at this than you. And it's so hard to overcome that chatter in your head. But when just one other person holds out that invitation and dares you like, I just dare you. Come on, let's do it. We're all doing something scary. Let's do scary stuff together. It just drowns out trickster just long enough for you to get brave and take that step. I've been doing it for 10 years. This is the 10th anniversary. I've seen it again and again, that the power of that invitation to overcome the internal intimidation and I just, gosh, listeners, uh, who do you want to invite? You know, what invitation do you want to extend? What community do you want to just be an invitation to? When you take a stand, you become an invitation, and then magical things can happen. Uh, but is, but someone has to start the, the, the choo-choo train. Someone has to overcome their intimidation long enough to issue the invitation.
0: Um, so, well, I I think it's a great way to end the podcast and boy, what an informative podcast this has been definitely and appreciate all your time. Kelly McCauzy and she runs a site called lovepeoplemakemoney.com. Well, that's where you can find her. She does so much more than just run that site. And we've been talking about it for all of this podcast. And Kelly, thank you so much for being here tonight.
1: Thanks, Jeff. This was a great chat.
0: On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, Melinda Cohen sells a product that allows her to interact with thousands of business owners all over the world, and she teaches us how we are in a results age and why you need to structure your business for client results. Here's a bit from Melinda.
1: That's one of the phrases that I've been talking a lot about is this results revolution and it's all about how do you get your clients' results with what you teach and offer and that's a lot of the work that's evolving from what we're doing from the training and teachings inside Coaches Console is a new methodology to coaching that we've developed that really focuses on how do you make sure your people get results.
0: We would love to have you in our Facebook group. Plus, could you like our Facebook page too? Put Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International into your Facebook search bar and help us positively shape this podcast.